The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for a discussion about tech stocks. My guest is Barron's Deputy Editor, Alex Ewell, who oversees our tech coverage. So Alex, welcome. Between vacations and other commitments, I don't think we've been together on Barron's Live all summer, but I'm glad to be reunited just as I'm depressed about the markets, but I think there's plenty to report and let's get to it. How are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. Good to talk to you again, Lauren. Yeah, it was um, an eventful summer, although um, not, you know, not much of happy news in the land of tech, I would say. So, uh, but, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm doing- No, but good for journalists. Gives us lots to write about. Yeah, we've had plenty to write so- So let's start with the big picture. The NASDAQ is getting whacked again today. It was down 3% when I last looked. It's down 31% year to date. This is a serious loss of money. And what's even more worrisome now is that Apple is finally tanking. It was down about 5% when I last looked. So we'll start with the NASDAQ, then we'll talk about Apple. And I think the big question is, is it time to bargain hunt? Will it ever be time to bargain hunt? This feels like an endless bear market. What's your take on things? Yeah, no. Um, it's uh, just when we seem like we're we're kind of getting our footing, um, things fall apart again. And this week is kind of no different in that regard, right? Yesterday, um, tech. Well, we had a positive day yesterday. We had this sort of risk on day yesterday, and um, and it looked like well, maybe this was finally stabilizing. Bond yields uh, fell significantly um, after the Bank of England said they were going to intervene in. With, with their economy, um, but now they're back up today. And sure enough, stocks are giving up all of yesterday's gains. So yeah, it doesn't feel like we're out of this. Um, you know, I think one thing probably to watch for, for the NASDAQ specifically is we're right at this point where we're back to the 2022 um, lows or, or just barely right above them. Um, it, for the NASDAQ, the low is in, uh, on June 16th, it was uh, the closing low is 10,646. Right now we're at 10,700 after today's kind of 3% um, decline. So we're kind of right at that that level. There's been a lot of talk over the summer when we, we had the rally. Um, we actually technically got a bull market for the NASDAQ, right? Um, in, in that it was up 20% off its lows. Well, it's given it all back. And, and everyone wanted to know, well, was that the, the bear market bounce, as they call it? And would we retest the lows it looks like we're about to retest those lows, and maybe that's maybe that's good ultimately for the market. Um, well, the Fed has been insistent that it is going to keep raising rates until it tames inflation, and the market is finally getting the message. It seems like it's getting the message again. Um, and I guess the question now: so if we do retest these lows, how how by by how much do we retest them, and do that does it bounce off those lows or not? Um, if you had asked folks that yesterday, they may have said you know, that yes, the low would, was in and, and we, we bounced from there. Uh, today, it feels different and uh, that we have new lows. The thing is, Alex, you never know when the low is in, except for hindsight. 
You never know, right? And so, and and yeah, so it's it's good to talk about as it's happening. It's good to use history to know what's happened in the past, and we can kind of do a lot of that today and, and try to at least offer some insight to to not figure it out, but to to offer some important context, right? And what and what you do as the market bounces downward. So let's let's take a look at Apple. It was the only decliner in the Dow yesterday. It's a strong day for the market. It's declining again today. Has the general finally fallen? Yeah, well, so I think Apple is really important. Um, you know, we joke about how we, we always want to talk about Apple, but it is roughly 7% of the S&P 500. You can't ignore it. Um, it had held up, while, not, while still down significantly for much of this year, it had held up better than most of big tech. I think, you know, it had outperformed on a relative basis. That seems to be falling apart now. You pointed out that, um, as you said, yesterday on this strong day, uh, Apple was the only one of the 30 Dow components uh, in negative territory, which I noticed, I asked our uh, Dow Jones market data people if that had ever happened before. Um, I, I, was, I was surprised it had happened once. Uh, Apple's been in the Dow since 2015. And there was one other occasion in late 2015 when Apple was the lone decliner in the Dow. Um, but so this was a rare event at only, only the second time it's happened. And, and I think significant. Um, for that reason, to kind of understand how much of a stabilizing force Apple's really been for the markets uh, overall for the last decade, right? And um, so to see it now having two pretty terrible days in a row, I think is concerning. Um, Let me ask you, is this a part of a broad market sell-off that's hitting Apple at last? Or is there something going wrong at Apple? Is there a problem with the Apple 14 launch? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think it's a combination, right? So um, certainly yesterday's decline and today's too is more specific to Apple, I would, I would argue. I mean, the, the entire market was up yesterday except for Apple, right? So that felt very Apple specific. And the issue was that there was this report from Bloomberg that Apple had decided not to, and these are all reports because Apple doesn't confirm this stuff, but that Apple had decided not to make a previously scheduled production increase for the iPhone 14, which is the new line of phones that just launched um, earlier this month. And that is what kind of sent the stock off. It it was down three or 4% at one point. It finished the day down about one and a half percent. And then um, that gets people- So does that suggest demand is not there? Sorry, say that, I I missed that. Does it suggest that demand is not there? Well, so that is now the big debate, right? And Apple, Mm -hmm. roughly 50% of of its revenue, maybe a little bit more, is still based on the iPhone. So every September, we get this kind of, as soon as the new phone hits, analysts and investors kind of look for any clues they can about what the demand is for the new phone. And they tend to do these kind of channel checks where you'll go to the website every day and check what the lead times are for various models. Um, hmm. and, and there's a, you know, they will very carefully track where they were at different points in the, in the launch cycle on, on the pre-order day, one day out, five days out, how long is the lead time for these phones? Now, this is a good exercise, I suppose, because it's the best way to get a feel for the kind of real-time demand. One issue with it is that, of course, the, the lead times aren't just about demand. They're also about supply. And Apple's, we know there have been supply chain issues. And while Apple's done a better job than most, uh, last year, for instance, it, it was harder to get these phones. So if there were fewer phones available, the lead times are going to be longer, regardless of what the demand is, right? So I, I do think this is always an imperfect science um, and why we have to take some of it with a grain of salt. 
when you look at one of the things I'm wondering, Alex, as we said, the NASDAQ is down 30%. People have lost a lot of money. Is the wealth effect finally hitting Apple? Are people just not willing to pay up for another phone? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. And and it gets to is Apple, you know, we've talked about, um, I've talked in, in the newsroom with some of our colleagues before about the fact that at the end of the day, Apple is a consumer company. And so it was somewhat more so probably than any other name in the big tech realm, by the way, that Apple is more exposed to the consumer than, you know, Microsoft, which has its big cloud business, um, Alphabet. Right, which it's really a corporate company. Yeah, and Alphabet, which at the end of the day is selling, while providing a consumer product, they're selling to advertisers. So they're not directly right. exposed to the consumer. So Apple is kind of unusual. And so it, as we were talking about the fact and worried about a recession over the last three, four, five months and, and a slowdown for the consumer, the fact that Apple was holding up it, it, from a big picture perspective was a little bit puzzling. And I think it gets to the fact that for one thing, Apple is still considered kind of a luxury product. So luxury is held up better. It's also seen as kind of the stickiest product out there. It's almost a consumer staple in that way. And so now we have the question, though, and what Wall Street is starting to get worried about as they worry about demand for the iPhone 14 is, OK, well, it's had its kind of luxury role, but it's such a the iPhone is gets sold to so many people. How, can it really be a luxury product at the end of the, Ultimately, it is going to be hurt by by a consumer slowdown. It's also going to be hurt by trends, trends in China. Um, Apple has does has a lot of sales in China still. So. I think right where the economy has been struggling. Yeah. So I think this is, I think the latest spark is this kind of recognition that, oh my God, we do have to worry about the consumer when it comes to Apple, even though it seemed obvious in some ways, the investors had kind of overlooked it. Um, and so the, the, the report yesterday was kind of the trigger to that. Now I tend to think, um, I guess I'm still a little bit more uh, optimistic for Apple. Um, today, it got a downgrade from B of A, which is the kind of why it's down another 5% today for the most part. And B of A has been a pretty good predictor of Apple stock. They're now rating it on neutral. And their estimates are well, their EPS estimates are now a good bit below the Wall Street's consensus. And largely because in the near term, they're, they're worried about that iPhone demand. They still say it, over the long term, it's a, it's, a, it's a great holding. So again, it also comes down to time horizon. Um, I still think Apple has proven that it's, that it's a kind of an essential tech company and an essential consumer company. Um, so you, you sort of do want to look at uh, the opportunity uh, to think about buying on weakness. Um, I was looking at the PE, you know, it had gotten to be a rather expensive stock a year ago, um, I, I wrote some of these numbers down. Let me just check this. But um, so a year ago, uh, the stock was trading at close to 30 times earnings. Um, and so the good news, if you, if you want to look at start thinking about Apple, is that it's now trading at, at 24 times um, in, uh, this year's earnings. And, and, and that's still a little bit above the company's five-year average, but it's way off where it was a year ago. Um, so that's the good news. And I guess the bad news, if you take B of A's view, is that those earnings estimates might still be too high. And if they're still too high, that means the PE is not a good, um, it's not particularly reliable because if the E falls the, the, and the price stays the same, the PE goes up, right? So maybe it's more expensive than we realize right now if, in fact, uh, the trends are, are headed in the wrong direction. So you well, I'm going to be watching what what Apple's news or what what developments at Apple might signal for the rest of the economy in terms of consumer spending. 
Yeah. Because yeah. if people are not upgrading iPhones, what else are they not buying? And I think we'll find out more as third quarter earnings come and, out. And just keep in mind, as you know, Apple, as as goes Apple, ultimately the market is going to have a very hard time working um, if without Apple, given that, as we said, as I said, it's seven percent of the S and P five hundred. So. Right. Right. Interesting situation. But you know, Alex, enough bad news. Let's talk about something positive. And that is that miracles do still happen and the IPO of Volkswagen's Porsche business could actually be one. The company is coming public in a terrible market. It's an especially miserable market for initial public offerings uh, or new stock issues. And our colleague Al Root just published a story this morning saying the IPO is likely to price at the top of its indicated range, which is a double miracle to me. So can you put this in some context, please? We've got a big company that's actually going to brave the market and come public, and it's going to price highly. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I guess I would say there is some good news, but I'm still going to wrap it around with uh, oh, no. bad news. So, um, yeah, so Porsche did price at, at the top end of its range, and it's trading this morning. Um, uh, last I looked, it was up a little bit, uh, 82 euros per share or something like that. Um, the company is now worth about $75 billion. It's been spun out by, or Volkswagen still owns most of it, but uh, they made a lot of the stock for sale, put a lot of the stock up for sale to sort of unlock some of Porsche's value. Similar to Apple, it's also a luxury play and that's what's working well these days. So that's why Porsche was able to do this IPO. Um, why are we talking about a car maker and a tech call? I mean, I think it just gets back to the IPO dynamics, which of course are very important in the world of tech. And um, what makes this IPO in, in Germany, it's listed on the Frankfurt Exchange, by the way, um, so important is, as you said, otherwise the IPO market has been just completely dead. Um, so dead that um, Renaissance Capital, which is kind of one of the main trackers of IPOs, uh, Put in its latest note that it was the uh, it was the worst third quarter for new issues in over a decade, um, and it, for through the U.S. IPO market, it's on track to raise the lowest proceeds in um, Renaissance thirty year history at least. So, um, and it's not you know the one the IPOs we are seeing are not those sort of traditional venture capital backed IPOs, uh, which is often where those tech names come from. Uh, there were just two venture-backed uh, IPOs in the second quarter that raised just $200 million. That's down like 95% basically from a year ago. So it has not been, um, it has not been a particularly good time. I mean, none of this is surprising, right? Volatile markets don't work for IPOs. Um, I guess the good news is if we want to look for it is that the Porsche and Volkswagen have shown that if you have a quality brand and a big name, you can still go public. So a big company, a good company can still go public apparently in the worst of times. That's the good news. Um, the bad news is it's just a reminder of how otherwise terrible um, the IPO market has been. I'm going to stick with the miracle analogy. You know, it's an interesting time for venture capital as well, because there's a lot of money built up in the venture capital business. But the one of the prime exit strategies, which is an IPO, seems to be blocked at the moment. There so is. Yeah, and I think part of the issue there too is no one, because we've had these violent moves for in the public markets at least that we see every day for the values of, of tech companies and other companies, for these for the venture capital firms, which as you say, do have a lot of cash to put to work, no one really knows what these assets are worth right now. And I think that's a I think that's a problem. Um, 
for for making investment even in the private market right if you don't have a clear if you don't have a clear sense of what things are worth no one wants to be buying no one wants to be overpaying and then the companies that are looking to 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 take on venture capital don't want to be getting less than they're worth so until until we kind of figure out um how much tech and, and things are worth right now um you know this this problem will go on i think Someday there's going to be a tremendous IPO market as all the stuff now waiting in the wings comes public. But I think we're going to have to wait a long time, Alex. Right. Yeah, I think I so, will have to see the regular the rest of the market working first, for sure. So next topic is Moffat Nathanson, a tech media and telecom research firm. The company just published an updated screen of valuations in its coverage universe. And... I'm wondering if you can walk me through the highlights and the lowlights. And while you do that, I will encourage listeners to send in questions, which we'll take at the end of the call. But the Moffat Nathanson valuation list, the highlights, the lowlights, what what struck you as interesting and important? Sure. And the reason I, I was I was looking at this and 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 um because you know a lot of banks do this kind of thing, they're constantly updating um their uh their coverage lists and and and, and talk um but but what's interesting here is first of all Moffat Nathanson just picked up software coverage there they've traditionally been kind of tr- uh telecom and media uh media firm and they just picked up coverage of the software industry and so I noticed it because they're actually somewhat bullish on software right now um and the screen that they you know that they that they just published kind of partially explains why, which is that software is a lot cheaper as, you know, no surprise than it's, than it's been. Um, and it kind Maybe of, why they picked up coverage. Yeah, I think it's a, right. It's a good time. Look, if you like technology at long, over the long term, this just to step back, it's a better time to be an investor now as, as kind of unnerving as it may be. And as much as uncertainty as there may be, than it was a year and a year ago when prices were obviously elevated. So we might fall a lot more from here, but it, you at least know you're paying less for for the business than you were a year ago. And unless you think that the long term uh, hope for tech, for software specifically, let's say, has really changed, then in the long term, this is going to be a good time to be buying. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's an important thing. That that's the good news too. Um, that's the reason to be optimistic. Um, you know, I was uh, before we get to some of those specific names. Um, I, I was looking at, at at earnings and what's happened to earnings for the IT sector in the S and P five hundred. Um, and uh, while it's so so think about it, you know, tech tech stocks are down 30 percent. But if you look at the actual EPS system, it's for right now. Um, it's they're down from six months ago for twenty twenty three, for instance, for that IT sector. But they're basically still flat from a year ago. So everything that we've seen happen with the market over the last year, when it comes to tech stocks, is largely around perception, right? Because analysts have still kept, at least from a year ago, those EPS estimates, which is ultimately how you price a stock, are, are, are is generally flat, and that means that the PE for the sector has fallen from like twenty eight times to 20 times. So then the question comes and it's just like with Apple, well, but is the market seeing something and are earnings finally going to fall? Um, in which case it is a fundamental issue with the companies. And then I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that one, um, but it is where you can use valuation to at least help you understand what your risk reward is. And that's where I sort of found some interesting things on this screen. Um, so right now, um, 
the software stocks that, that Moffat Nathanson cover, for instance, the name of like 20 to 30 companies, cloud names, um, Zoom, video, Adobe, software, all, all names that a lot of us know and that and that's some, some smaller ones like DocuSign. Basically, all of them were darlings during the pandemic. Um, they're now trading as an industry at about 8.6 times sales. Um, the average over the last five, over the last 20 years is five times. So it's still elevated. But, a, you know, at its peak last year, the multiple was well over 10 times. Um, the only other time, by the way, that it, that it traded over 10 times was during the dot-com bubble. So well, a bell should have rung, don't you? 2021. Yeah. So we're going to look. Exactly. So we're going to look back at 2021. And I think some of us knew this at the time as sort of another dot-com bubble and 2022 as another dot-com crash. So that's kind of the context, right? And now. The, the, the downside is it took the NASDAQ a long time to recover from the 2000, 2001 time period and the crash. Uh, so what was like a good 10, 12 or 14 years for the NASDAQ to recover, um, maybe more like 15 years. And some of these names may never recover. Some of them never recover the com crash and maybe. And so then the question, you know, so is Zoom kind of the, the company that never recovered? The type of company that never recovered or does it still have a long-term opportunity i've always thought zoom was a quality business um and they're now cheap so that's where the screen comes in right zoom's trading at four times um this year's sales i mean that's not it, it's certainly a lot cheaper than it was um and so i think their names like you know zoom and docusign is another one that's trading at about four times sales um you know, these are these are still quality companies. Um, they just have seen growth slow down tremendously from where they were at in 2020. Um, and so now you have to kind of ex accept the new reality and and think, well, these are still businesses that could grow 10, 15 percent over the coming years. And those those might be stocks that you still want to own. And now that their valuations have been reset, I think they're they're interesting again. It gives you a benchmark to take a look. So if Zoom is one of the cheapest stocks, what's one of the still most expensive? So let's see. Um, the most expensive name on here, which has always been an expensive name, is Snowflake. Um, they're 28 times sales, but I'm pretty sure a year ago they were looking at more like 70 times sales. Snowflake is a company that, that kind of... Uh, <laughs> They're a data warehousing play so that they store data uh, and help you interpret data in the cloud. Um, they still are a big, a very fast grower, though. So, you know, it's it, but it's but yes, it's the, it's the most expensive name in the class. One day we're going to look back at this and say, remember that year when some stocks sold for 70 times sales? Yep. Just like we did in, in, in 1999, right? Right. I hope we're not looking back from too much lower. So let's go to some listener questions. We've got lots of them today. And the first one comes from Tom. Will chip stocks recover? Will they too have been hit by the bear market. Yeah, terribly. Um, and um, <laughs> I actually, so I saw that question. I reached out to our, to Tay Kim, who uh, our colleague, who's our in-house chip expert, uh, writes about this stuff almost every day to say, you know, I have this question. Um, here's, here's the big picture. Are they going to recover? And Tay, um, you know, very quickly said that he's still, you know, that there's still no upturn uh, in sight and that um, while the stocks P's look cheaper, it comes back to that earlier question. He still sees big moves down for earnings outlooks um, uh, for earnings, which, which means that they aren't cheap enough. Um, he thinks Europe is, is going to remain an issue um, and that you really need to look at 
and wait to see the pricing on various chips and um, products stabilize before before you get back interested in chips again. One thing that I thought that Tay and I were talking about this morning too that was really interesting, I thought is the auto sector has been a really good area for chips, right? That uh, as, as cars have become more and more digital or electric, there's, there's so much more digital content going into cars, so much more, um, and which which means a lot more chips. And so it's been a good place for the chip sector and a place for chip investors to hide out to some degree. The problem now is that we're starting to worry about auto sales. Um, and this is today in particular, CarMax uh, had this terrible earnings report last night. The stock is down, uh, or this morning, the stock is down 20%. So it could be that even that, that area that's been good for chips is now going to be problematic. Um, in the coming in the coming months, if if consumers are feeling the pinch as as rates go higher, it's harder to get a car loan. It's more expensive to get a car loan. Car sales could be the next kind of problem uh, in the economy, and, and that would ultimately be pretty bad for the chip the chip sector too. So they're not out of the woods yet, is the bottom line. Yeah, and now maybe a new, they have a new risk, a new a new problem to worry about. A lot the stocks are a lot cheaper, but but yes, uh, they may not have worked through all the issues. Another reason we're talking about cars on the tech call. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's talk about Apple again. We've got a couple of questions about Apple. Joseph notes the holiday season is coming up. And do you expect to see increased interest in Apple and purchases of Apple products for the holidays? Yeah. So look, Apple doesn't, it's not a coincidence that Apple always releases its biggest product every year in September, which means the holiday quarter is the the, the full, the first full quarter where it's available. Um, and Apple, of course, these days has a lot more to sell you from Apple to Apple Watch, which it's just uh, updated as well. AirPods, which are, which are increasingly popular um, and probably will be a popular gift, but it still comes back to the same question then of if, if you think, and if you, if you think Apple is kind of a holiday spending play, then you've got to come back and ask, well, how strong is the consumer going to be during the holidays this year? And um, I think that that just gets back to what we were talking about. And, and people are increasingly worried about the consumer um, right now. So, you know, I, I will know, yes, the holidays will be important if, 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 if Apple has a big uh, quarter, and I believe it's their what, fiscal first quarter. Uh, the holiday quarter, I could be wrong. Um, then, then a lot of the the, pro the worries about Apple that we have today would be gone. But, um, but I think it gets back to the same question, which is how strong is the consumer right now, and are they finally uh, feeling squeezed, which will hurt Apple Apple sales. I hear about ten stories in there that we ought to be writing as the holidays approach. Yes. Yes. Well, keep keep reading Barons.com and Barons. So Steve goes back to your mention that viewers should consider buying Apple on weakness. And he wonders, should we wait until it gets down to its June low of 130 or is it still too high at this point? What do you think is a reasonable range to start thinking about buying? Yeah, I mean, look, we talked about trying to time the market. It's going to be it's going to be tough. Um, Apple, the PE is a lot cheaper than it was. So, yeah, it's still not at its kind of at 20 times point. That's 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 going to be hopefully a, a bottom for the stock, but it's around 20, 22, 23. So that still feels like a decent time to be um, to be buying to me. I mean, I think there's still reason to be long term bullish in Apple. But, yeah, could you see another five, 10 percent of downside from here for sure? But I'd feel a lot more comfortable 
there, there's a lot less risk, I still think, owning Apple than, than some of the other more speculative names or even some of those software names that are that carry these high multiples and um, are going to be, I think, a lot more volatile for that reason over the next six months. So, you know, I, I think um, Apple's latest products are still, no, no one's really complaining about the products. The watch, the Apple watch seems as important as ever. The Air, AirPods are seen ubiquitous, right? And so if you buy an iPhone, you're almost, you know, many people are now, it, it means they're also going to be buying a watch and AirPods. Right, you can't just stop with the phone. The ecosystem is as good as ever, um, you know, but but again, it, it could be an area, my, AirPods may be an area that, that a weakened consumer easily cuts, right? I mean, AirPods are, um, well, our phones are probably no longer feel like luxuries for most of us. AirPods may be a luxury. So that's, uh, that will come right off the, the top line and, um, and, and certainly hurt profits for sure as well. Well, we'll be coming back to Apple in future calls. You can um, count on that. So here's somebody who was really listening to you today. Lawrence says, you were going to give out a few names from the Moffitt report, but he didn't hear too many. So can you give us a few more? Tell us what some other valuations are. Oh, well, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's where I was getting at sort of Zoom, Zoom and, and DocuSign specifically being the two names that jumped out to me as kind of being these pandemic darlings that had soared and that are now down probably 80, 90 percent and now trade at four times um, sales. Uh, so just from a valuation perspective, those were the two names that um, that jumped out at me. You know, we got to I think it's worth asking ourselves, well, when is Zoom video interesting again? And um, and I guess at, at four times sales, it's certainly a lot more interesting than it was at, at 15 times sales. Can you give us just a couple of other names that that are interesting for one reason or another? Um, more names from this list. I mean, other names that are kind of the lower the lower kind of quadrant sure. area of, of, of sale of EV of enterprise value to sales right now. Octa's trading now at five times. That's another pandemic darling that's come way off. Um, let's see. Uh, one of the names that, that Moffat Nathanson uh, liked a lot, not necessarily in the screen, but some of the some of the covered research that they've done is into it, um, right? The tax the tax preparation firm that's become a larger player in software and accounting and business software, uh, that's the name they're very bullish on. So those would be a couple more. So I see that Microsoft is also on the list. It's at, um, if I'm reading it correctly, now that I can see it, 7.8 times. Um, we had a question about Microsoft and that concerns Microsoft Teams. How is it doing? Joseph notes Zoom has competition and he wants to know what, what the take is on Microsoft Teams. Um, yeah, I mean, look, that's I, that's probably the bear, the, the, one of the most significant bear cases for for Zoom, and it was certainly something that hurt Slack before it got bought by Salesforce, which is that Microsoft does has come in as kind of a in the still dominates business software, and that gives them an uh, an ability to sell their video conferencing software into an already very large base. So yeah, I think I think Microsoft is serious competition. Um, Zoom was the disruptor in the field, right? So it's sort of like, do you still buy? Do you still are you still interested in Tesla, or do you think it's Tesla's done now because you have BMW, Porsche, um, and everyone else making electric cars? I think it's a very similar question. It's you know, do, when do you when do you stick with a disruptor versus the larger company that's going to come in and 
and have an eat have a have the scale to sort of really hurt you. But I, I guess to me that's that's probably already been priced in, um, right? So I think Microsoft Teams is a is a good product, and if your company uses Microsoft 365, which is their cloud based um, office you know product, then it's very easy to turn on. Um, uh, Microsoft Teams, and which provides a rival offering to to Zoom, but I think you know, but Zoom is still kind of the original player here. A lot of people still want Zoom. They like a lot of companies like having multiple vendors for that sort of thing and not throwing all their eggs in one basket. Um, so you know, I, I don't think uh, it, I don't think Zoom is is dead because of Microsoft Teams. Plus, there's Google Hangouts, which we use a lot in the office. Google. But I would say during during the course of any given week, I use all three. Right, exactly, and that's true. I mean, Google's doing something similar on a smaller scale to Microsoft, which is they have this existing install base that they've sold their video product into as well. But it's a fair point that Zoom has competition. So Neil notes, or, or he asks you, but effectively it's noting, in the first dot-com bubble, were the stocks much less tethered to the fundamentals than they are now? And I would say they were. Let's let's remember Pets.com or Sock Puppet or whatever it was. What's your thinking on that, Alex. Yeah, I certainly, I, yes. I mean, I think that the, the comparisons are, are, are at some point are limited, right? Because Correct. You know, in, the in the late 90s, it was still um, all of the IPOs and all of the trading was still built around um, and mostly the idea of the internet, right? All you had to do was give a .com to your name and you were immediately worth, you know, hundreds of hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't think we're at that point. I still think a lot of these businesses, these are real businesses with real revenues. They may not have had the strongest profits. And um, and I think, you know, they were all propped up by this zero interest environment. That's that's a big part of what of what happened. Um, I think the fundamentals are strong and, and, and will continue to be strong for the most part, but there was just no, there was, there was not enough attention paid to, to what you pay for those fundamentals. So that's the that's the comparison to the '90s. But but I think the fundamentals are still much better, and these are still companies that are that are far uh, they're far they're, they're they're still they're far better companies. Further along in their development cycle. Much further along, right? Exactly. So as you say, the comparison is rather limited. So we'll close with a question about the future, and that future is later today. Peter wants to know, do you think Micron's results, which will be posted later today, will be an, an important signal for the rest of the tech sector? Yeah, I do think Micron is important. Um, you know, Micron is one of these stocks that's, that, that always trades very cheaply relative to its earnings. Um, so it's kind of in a little bit of a different segment than, than other tech stocks. Um, but they will have a lot to say, I think, about consumer demand, about PC demand, because their their memory products go into everything. Um, so they do they should have a good read into the the current environment. I think that will be really important. So it is possible, and it's a good question. It is possible that this could um, that this could change sentiment this evening, depending on what they say. Uh, so I would be looking for what they say about the auto market. I'd be looking for what they say about the supply chain and their ability to uh, to manufacture and get the, the, the products, the, the, the chips they need. Um, and for what they say about the PC market, uh, and, and, and because they, they have they have some some kind of uh, they, they have a view into all of that. So I do think it, could, it, it will be important. Um, but I think 
less important for Micron itself, uh, probably as a stock, just because um, it's one of these companies that that just is, it's it's a little bit more of a commodity business. Um, it's probably too cheap, and it probably but it's probably always too cheap from a valuation perspective. Well, we'll be watching tonight. We'll be listening tonight, and we'll be covering it on Barons.com. Alex, I want to thank you. This is this was a most informative call, and I want to thank our listeners for your terrific questions. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, the agency founder, Mauricio Umansky, joins Mansion Global Managing Editor Becky Strum to discuss residential real estate as a haven for wealth and the market outlook for real estate. It's good to know there may be a haven for wealth in this market. Thank you, everyone. Thanks again, Alex. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.